Before we turn to the Word of God, let us read our instruction from the Heidelberg Catechism based on the Word of God, reading responsively, responsively from the Heidelberg Catechism number 53, as printed in the bulletin. What do you believe concerning the Holy Spirit? First, the Holy Spirit, as well as the Father and the Son, is eternal God. Second, the Holy Spirit has been given to me personally so that by true faith he makes me share in Christ and all his blessings. He comforts me and remains with me forever. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we ask you now by the power of your Spirit, the Spirit who breathed out this word and preserved it for us in Scripture, now to breathe afresh upon us. Come, O Holy Spirit of the living God, and open our minds to the truth of God. Open our hearts to the love of God and empower our souls for new obedience to God by the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Amen. Romans chapter 8, reading this morning, verses 1 through 4. We're going to be spending some time in verses 1 through 11 over the the coming weeks, but this morning, concluding the reading at verse 4. It is written, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh but according to the spirit and now to him who loves us who has freed us from our sins by his blood. To Jesus Christ be all praise, honor, and glory forever and ever. Amen. I want to begin by acknowledging with appreciation Pastor Jonathan's good work on the last two Sundays, preaching through the concluding passages of Romans 7. Now, in God's good providence, it just so happened that due to my continuing education schedule, Pastor Jonathan had the opportunity to preach from two of the more difficult passages in all of Paul's letter to the Romans. And I really didn't plan it that way, but I'm grateful for his faithful exposition and application of these passages, and I am sure that you are as well. And This morning we come to the great eighth chapter of Romans. It is known as The great eighth, and indeed it is great, for it declares to us the greatness of the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. The greatness 
of the work of the Holy Spirit in the lives of those who are in Christ Jesus, the greatness of our salvation in Christ Jesus, the greatness of our security in Christ Jesus, in short, the greatness of the sovereignty of God in our salvation from first to last, beginning to end. And so we're going to be in Romans 8 for a while and Therefore, I think it would be helpful for us to begin this morning with somewhat of an overview because the individual passages all flow together in one great unit of thought. And it wouldn't be practically possible for me to preach, say, 10 to 12 sermons in one worship service. But in a sense, in a way, Pastor Jonathan and I will be preaching one big sermon through Romans 8, spread out in individual parts, probably for the remainder of the summer. Who knows, maybe into September. So let me remind you that when you are away from time to time this summer, you may easily access these sermons from the website or get CDs from the church office so that you can keep up with this one big sermon and spiritually benefit from the unfolding of God's Word from passage Uh, to passage through this great 8th chapter of Romans. If you're visiting today, um, let me just say this is how we preach here primarily. We just work our way through a book of the Bible or a a major section of the Bible. So now here's here's a brief overview. The great 8th chapter begins with the great declaration. Verse 1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation. And the great eighth chapter comes to its grand conclusion in verse 39 with the great declaration that for believers in Christ there will be no separation from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. No separation. No matter what. Nothing in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No separation from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Those are the great verses with which this great eighth chapter begins and ends. No condemnation. No separation. Great verses. It's quite likely that these great verses will be read at your funeral. They are verses to live by and to die well by. And in between no condemnation and no separation, there are these great passages which promise us the presence and power of the Holy Spirit in our lives now to enable us to live in a new obedience to God, an obedience from the heart. And the blessed assurance of our adoption as God's children in Jesus Christ. And the hope of glory to be fulfilled with the redemption and the resurrection of our bodies. And the presence of the Holy Spirit within us even now. Interceding in prayer for us out of the depths of our hearts. When we know not how to pray. And the unbreakable chain of our salvation in Christ. 
from eternity past into eternity future. And therefore the assurance that for those who love God, all things work together for good. Romans 8, 28. So now you can see this this brief overview is turning into 10 or 12 sermons. (laughs) But I hope it whets, whets your appetite for the great eighth chapter of Romans. Now one last important note about Romans 8. Big overview. Pay attention. It's going to keep on going and going and going in Romans 8. Romans 8 is all about the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit in the lives of those who are in Christ Jesus. Romans 8 is filled with multiple references to the Holy Spirit. This is a real turning point in Paul's letter to the Romans. It is the chapter on life in the Spirit. And this is in contrast with Paul's focus on the law in Romans 7, where you've been plowing through with Pastor Jonathan over the past couple of weeks. And Pastor Jonathan made clear from Romans 7 that the law of God can neither justify you nor sanctify you. The law is powerless, as we will hear again this morning from Romans 8. But but Romans 8 teaches us that in union with Christ through faith, believers are indwelt, empowered, led, helped, sanctified, and assured by the Holy Spirit. And therefore, Romans 8 is all about living by the Spirit, verse 13. Now, in his commentary on Romans, John Stott emphasizes the point that Romans 8 shows us that, quote, the Christian life is essentially life in the Spirit. That is to say, a life which is animated, sustained, directed, and enriched by the Holy Spirit. Without the Holy Spirit, true Christian discipleship would be inconceivable, indeed impossible. End of quote. Romans 8 is all about life in the Spirit, through the Spirit in the life of believers. It's really important We need to pay close attention to it in the coming weeks, but I want to make a particular connection today. Today is the 50th day after Easter, which is the day of Pentecost. And and some of you are wondering, what does Pentecost have to do with Presbyterians? Well, The answer to that question is, of course, everything. That is, if we are in Christ Jesus, because apart from the working of the Holy Spirit in our lives, we have no union with Christ Jesus. Without the supernatural working of the Holy Spirit in our hearts, we would not have faith in Christ. Without the working of the Holy Spirit in our hearts through the Word, we would not grow in grace. Without the presence of the Holy Spirit's in our heart, Holy Spirit in our hearts, we would have no true love for God and no real assurance that we are the children of God adopted in His Son Jesus Christ. Without the supernatural working of the Holy Spirit, this sermon will do you no good. Without the supernatural working of the Holy Spirit in your heart, the sacrament administered this morning is nothing more than an exercise in religious custom. 
We are absolutely dependent upon the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives in every way having to do with living the Christian life from beginning to end. Now, some Christian groups associate the day of Pentecost and the work of the Holy Spirit primarily, emphatically with those remarkable and extraordinary events of the first century which are recorded in the book of Acts. But those remarkable and extraordinary manifestations of the Holy Spirit in the first century, signs and wonders such as speaking in unknown tongues, instantaneous, miraculous healings, and so forth, were works of the Holy Spirit for the spread of the gospel and the establishment of the church in her infancy. Romans 8 teaches us that the ongoing work of the Holy Spirit in the church is for the security and the maturity of our lives in Christ. Indeed, the ongoing deep work of transforming our lives into conformity with the likeness of Christ. My point, simply, is to emphasize today on the day of Pentecost that Romans 8 is all about, again, in the words of John Stott, life in the Spirit. A life which is animated, sustained, directed, and enriched by the Holy Spirit. Now that gets us to the text. Romans 8, 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The word therefore connects the passage with what has come before. It takes us all the way back to chapter 3, verse 24, which announces that sinners are justified by God's grace as a gift. Justified by God's grace, no condemnation, through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. And to 5, verse 1, which declares that since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God, no condemnation takes us back to 724.25 last week. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? My condemnation under the law. Who will deliver me from my condemnation under the law? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. No condemnation. So verse 1, therefore, tells us that chapter 8 is connected to and builds upon everything preceding it. Concerning our justification by faith alone in Christ alone. But what about that little word now? There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. This is the scripture's way of saying that a great transition has taken place in history. A new eon, a new epoch has dawned. The promises of the old covenant have now been fulfilled in Christ Jesus. The new covenant through Christ is now in effect. Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God, was born in human flesh and blood. He lived a life of perfect, sinless obedience. He offered himself up as the substitutionary sacrifice for all who believed in him. He was raised victorious over death. He ascended into heaven to sit in power at the right hand of the Father. And on the day of Pentecost, 50 days after Easter, he poured out the Holy Spirit upon his church. And that outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost confirmed that the new era, the new epoch was now in effect. The new covenant 
in which God by His Spirit would write His law upon the hearts of His people. And, having cleansed us of our sins by the blood of Christ, would empower us to live with a new obedience, with joy and thanksgiving. And and from that day of Pentecost in the first century until now, today, and until Christ comes again, the Holy Spirit will continue to give new life and faith to people of all nations and draw them to Jesus Christ for their salvation and build up the church of Jesus Christ throughout the world for the glory of God. We live in that now of the new covenant. Those who are in Christ Jesus live in the now of the new covenant era with the assurance of the forgiveness of our sins through the blood of Christ, the assurance of our justification, our right standing with God through faith in Jesus Christ and with the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives so that we may live now in joyful, grateful obedience from the heart. And so there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation. No condemnation is the equivalent, it's another way of saying justification. They go together, a negative, no condemnation. The positive is justification. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because those who are in Christ Jesus have been justified by faith in him. To believe in Christ is to be in union with him in his death on the cross. So that his death on the cross is the substitutionary sacrifice for your sins. And if he suffered the penalty for all your sins, then there is no more penalty for you to suffer on account of your sins. If Jesus paid it all, how much is left to pay? No condemnation. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because, and this gets us right down to it, Christ Jesus has already been condemned for us. There it is. Crucified. Dead. Buried. Descended into hell. Condemned. And so from the cursed cross, he cried from Psalm 22, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That is the cry of a condemned man. A man who was condemned in your place and mine. So that there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. In Christ Jesus. To be in Christ Jesus is to be included in his great work of salvation. To be drawn up into his great work. To be in union with him in his death and in his resurrection. 
by faith, receiving and embracing him and resting yourself upon him in a union with him, a bond of faith and love. To be in Christ Jesus is to be in communion with him through the indwelling of his spirit in you. To be in Christ Jesus is to belong to him, to be secure in him by the power of his death and resurrection for you. But outside of Christ, apart from Christ, without Christ, a person stands naked, guilty, without excuse, before God. And therefore, condemned under God's righteous judgment. Come to Jesus Christ by faith. Come to him and accept the offer of his perfect sacrifice for your sins. And find your life, your life in Christ Jesus. So that there will be no condemnation for you. In this passage, we see that there is also a way in which no condemnation means not only that we are cleansed from the guilt of our sins, but also set free from the power of sin over our lives. Now, we're making a transition here. We're, we've gotten to verse 2, and there's, there's a little shift, so let's take a break and and a breath. and So here's the thing. Verse 2. Those who are in Christ Jesus have had their lives definitively changed. Verse 2 says, For the law of the Spirit of life, and that is the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit, who gives life in Christ and empowers life in Christ. As John Stott said, the, the, the animating and directing power of the Holy Spirit in our lives the ongoing, activating, motivating, life-directing power and presence of the Holy Spirit has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Now, the law of sin and death, which you heard about last Sunday, is the law of God without the Spirit of God. The law of God without the Spirit of God has only a condemning effect without the Spirit of God indwelling in you. The law of God can only produce sin in you and and bring death, for the wages of sin is death. But you see, the scripture says, God has done something. God has done something which effects a real change in the lives of those who are in Christ Jesus. Okay, you ready? Okay. The point here. God has done something. This is, this is part of what's taken place in the, in the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the pouring out of the Holy Spirit for the life of the church. Um, this is uh, another application of that little word now as it, as it pertains to you in your life in Christ personally. Are you in Christ by faith? There's something different about you now in Christ from what you were outside of Christ. 
This is the promise of Holy Scripture. The Holy Spirit sets you free from the power of sin over your life. The power, the dominion, the oppression, the futility of sin. The Holy Spirit sets you free. True conversion brings true change in the believer. True faith in Christ brings forth true fruit for Christ. This is the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer to set us free from the power of sin so that we might live changed lives of spirit-empowered obedience to God. This is what verses 2, 3, and 4 are about. How have we been set free from the power of sin over our life? Verse 3 says, God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. As we've said, the law of God without the Spirit of God could not justify you, cannot sanctify you. But by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, God condemned sin in the flesh. And that means not only pronounced condemnation, but actually executed justice against it, put it to death as though it were a foreign, alien, ruling, reigning power from which we needed to be delivered. Yes, this is what God has done. He has executed it on the cross of Christ. God has done done this by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh. An important phrase there, if you can just hang in here. The likeness of sinful flesh, that is, in human flesh and blood. Jesus lived as one of us, subject to all of the temptations, the pain, and the suffering of this fallen world. As Hebrews 2.17 says, He was made like His brothers, like us, in every respect. And Hebrews 4.15 says, He in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. These verses are emphasizing Jesus' true humanity. He was as human as you and I, yet He was without sin. He never sinned. He was in the likeness of sinful flesh. He was a real man, not an angel, not a spiritual apparition but a man of flesh and blood who lived in this fallen world as we live in this fallen world, yet he lived without sin. Now, this is the point. Jesus was as close to sinners as he could be without himself being a sinner. Jesus identified himself with sinners without himself ever committing a sin. But as that sinless man... In the likeness of sinful flesh, He offered Himself up for sin, to deal with our sins and the power of sin over us. And in Him, God condemned sin in the flesh. God dealt with it, destroyed the power of sin over those who are in Christ Jesus. Let the water and the blood from thy riven side which flowed be of sin the Double cure. Cleanse me from its guilt and power. 
He breaks the power of reigning sin. He sets the prisoner free. My chains are gone. I've been set free. My God, my Savior has ransomed me, rescued me out of slavery. Now, when you sing those words, do you sing them from your heart because they, you know that they are true, true in your life? This is the promise of God to you in Christ Jesus. This is the work of God in you by the Holy Spirit. And the purpose and goal of that deliverance from the power of sin in your life is verse 4. In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. And God willing, we'll pick up there next Lord's Day. We are called to live new lives in the Spirit. And we are empowered to live new lives by the Spirit. In the assurance that there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. To God be the glory. Amen. Let us pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for the glorious gospel of your Son, our Savior. And we pray that by the power of your Spirit at work in our hearts... You would, by your word, transform us more nearly into the likeness of Christ. Again, our Father, we commend unto your mercy, love, power, and keeping our brother Bob. We pray for Felicia. We pray, O Lord, that you will be to him all that he needs.